On this episode of the podcast, I have with me Anikit Suneji. He is the VP of Engineering at AutoGrid. We're going to be talking about how he deals with scaling issues. We're going to be talking about sometimes having to do more with less and sometimes having to find ways to deliver when resources are tight. And in this market, I am sure everyone is looking for resources and everyone is uh, delivering with less. So uh, Anikit, thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. I guess uh, let's start off at the top. We could find out what uh, AutoGrid does. And also just to kind of let us know what, as a VP of engineering, what's uh, your responsibilities? Sure, sure. So AutoGrid, uh, we are a clean energy company based out of Redwood City, California. And we really focus on, at a high level, being able to turn software and uh, really data into power. So when you look at the grid nowadays, you've got a bunch of smaller distributed energy resources. And so when you've got situations where your demand or supply are kind of reaching limits or you've got price fluctuations that you want to be able to arbitrage against, our software really helps utilities, energy aggregators, and any type of entity that wants to play in those energy markets uh, be able to aggregate this long tail of smaller assets into what you can virtualize as larger amounts of capacity. So a key term is virtual power plant. You can use our software to take, you know, a bunch of, you know, thermostats or, or a bunch of smaller batteries that are installed in residential homes and essentially virtualize a power plant for different entities. Very cool. And then uh, just let us know in terms of VP of engineering, what falls in your lap? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're still a growing company. So I think uh, there's no one clear answer. And I think anytime you talk to anybody else, there's going to be different things that you have to do based on the industry. But I think at the end of the day, the key thing that ends up making the most difference is being the enabler, right? It's not my job to make sure that some specific feature goes out on time. It's not my job to make sure that you know, a particular engineering decision is made absolutely perfectly. It's my job to make sure that the whole org is moving in the right direction and that everybody's got the tools and the capabilities and the support surrounding them so that they're able to independently drive their features and their applications forward. So it's really, you know, just looking at things holistically and making sure that, you know, are we moving in the right direction? Where are we kind of falling down? And, you know, how do we craft the organizational structure, the technology, the architectural decisions, and, you know, how people go about those processes to make sure that we're still headed in the right direction? Absolutely. And I guess the topic is you know dealing with scaling issues. And I guess whenever you talk about scaling issues, that's implying that there's some resource constraints probably somewhere in the middle oh, of the yeah. conversation. Yeah. <laughs> I think every organization nowadays is trying to do more with less, and especially in this hiring environment, you know, if you're planning on adding headcount, it's a difficult thing in and of itself. I guess when you're kind of looking at dealing with scaling issues, especially when it comes to adding capacity to your team. So the top level, maybe let's talk about how your team is structured and then maybe how it's organized and then we kind of talk about how you, you're dealing with some of this stuff. I think the way that we organize it, it's not necessarily perfect, but I think it's, it's getting adjusted and it's slowly moving in the right direction. So we typically have teams focus on particular feature epics or particular applications. And the membership of that team adjusts over time as features that need to be built, the technologies that are in use, you know, who's moving into what type of role over time, as well as what are the needs, right? Um, you might have different people from data science and kind of front end and back end 
you know, form a team for a couple months because there's a really big feature that needs everybody kind of in the same time zone, working same cadence, driving towards that. So that's typically how we try to do it. The use case, depending on the applications that need kind of development, adjusting, maintenance, we structure the teams accordingly. Now, our teams right now, they're spread across, you know, both the U.S. and, and India, as well as got teammates in Europe as well. So managing the time zones, always a bit difficult. You got to have to make sure that people are being flexible to a certain extent. And you also have to make sure, you know, from the get-go that people aren't just getting a bunch of meetings like left and right, just because everybody needs to be on the same page. So you need to find the right membership so that you minimize the amount of time that's spent just in the coordination. So that's typically what we try to do. I think over time, this always needs to scale, right? When particular applications mature, you really need to start looking at, okay, well, what exactly does this application do? How much maintenance is it going to need over time? And what is the expected or projected usage over, over the next three to six months, two years, three years, et cetera? So depending on the maturity of the platform, you may or may not actually have to dedicate people to that service or to that application full time because you know, it might be a case where, you know, it's 90% there, but you really need to get the last set of features out so that it's stable. Or if it's completely stable, then you need to be looking at it from the support perspective and say, okay, well, who actually needs to be on this all the time for support? Or can we get away with, you know, structuring the support organization slightly differently so that we've got a better on-call schedule that can handle this? And how does this change when you go from kind of like a B2B to a B2C company? But the entire kind of set of decisions have to be kind of reworked based on that. Absolutely. And I guess as you're kind of looking at your team and you, know, you mentioned you're looking forward, you're trying to determine you know, teams as epics and, and features are being built out by the product management team, I'm assuming. And you're starting to forecast the need for hiring and, and the growth side of things. And you're starting to determine that the pieces you need, how rigid, I guess, or how flexible is that view? Like, you know, I guess further out, you might be a little bit more flexible, but as you get closer to hiring, you know, how refined does that plan get and kind of maybe share some thoughts there? That's the difficult problem of forecasting anything, I think, to a certain extent. Whenever you try to forecast anything over the course of, you know, one month to three months to six months to two years, the accuracy of that forecast comes into question very quickly. It's a difficult problem. The only way that I've found things to work is that, you know, you'll spend more time in the analysis phase than you really need to. So, you know, just because you hire an extra person or an extra two people or extra three people doesn't mean you're not going to find a use for them somewhere else. Because I guarantee you, there's always going to be more work than you have time for, more work than you have people for. So if somehow, you know, this epic or this feature no longer needs to be built when you get around to it and you've just completed the hire, find a way to kind of reset expectations of that person, find a way to kind of manage um, what their career growth is going to look like, given that, you know, the feature that or the team that they might be part of or the feature that they might be working on has changed a little bit. But people are flexible. They'll understand when like things have to adjust and you will always find another spot for someone because there's always more work to be done. The way that I also look at it is when I'm trying to do the forecasting, I really look at what are we doing 
kind of day to day. It's almost kind of like process optimization, but really understand like when you are going through not only your development life cycle, but also kind of the feature life cycle. What are the features that you're building? What are the features that still exist or will need to exist in your product or your platform? You really need to take a very kind of hard and honest look at what exactly those things are going to do for you. Because you can spend you know years and years building out your product. But if you're not actually paying attention to what else is out there in the market, you will build stuff that someone else has already done perfectly, has put out, you know, open source or made a service for that will cost you five bucks a month to buy or something like that. You need to look at that because that is the easiest way for you to start to make sure that your forecasts and the way that you're scaling your team is effective. You want your team working on the stuff that is going to make your company or your project really valuable. You need to be working on stuff that no one else is doing or maybe items in certain cases where you know that you can do better than anyone else. So if you can find ways of offloading, you know, the simple stuff like some of the reporting or some of the data ingestion or some of the other capabilities that your platform might have to have, if you can offload that into, you know, services that you either pay for or you just pull in, that is the fastest way to get your team's morale up because they've got less busy work to do. And two, they end up kind of working on really cool stuff. And conversely, your customers are going to be super happy because what they're going to be getting with new features or with new releases rather are not going to be just, you know, scalability enhancements or, you know, small changes, but really new features, novel stuff. And that's going to keep them engaged. Let me ask you a question then. I mean, that's, that's a great observation. Obviously you can find, third-party services to help, you know, offload some of that unnecessary work that your team could be, you know, ending up doing. How much time do you allocate to something like that? Like who's responsible for keeping an eye on that? You know, how much time is spent investigating third parties, I guess, from your point of view, because obviously that's overhead to, you know, getting some core work done as well. It's a very good question. The way that we approach it is that, you know, whenever we've got a big new ask, or whenever we're seeing the same set of issues crop up, that's the time when we sit down and we're like, okay, well, what's going on here? Why do we need to do this? And is there some way that we don't need to do this? Is it really that valuable for the customer? Or is this just something that someone's thought up? But two, you know, provided that the value has been vetted and the product team has kind of understood, you know, the impact for it. The next thing is, you know, is anyone else doing it? And if someone is, right, like, why are we doing it that too? It's particularly important for like really big new asks or big new features, but it's also particularly important when you look at bug fixes, right? So if you're seeing, you know, the same sort of issues just continually crop up, the same sort of asks continually crop up between different types of, you know, stakeholders in the company. Those are the cases where, okay, well, you know, apparently we're doing something. It's not necessarily working as well as we, we would like. So you know, let's find out if someone else has done it better. And, you know, generally speaking, nothing ever is completely novel or completely new. I'm sure someone has done it better and there's ways that you can learn from them. And so open innovation is actually really important. You need to be able to share ideas with the market. You need to be able to also be kind of listening and paying attention to the ideas that are floating around and coming in the market. Absolutely. I guess one question I was going to ask you, kind of you know, dealing with some of the scaling components that most teams 
are dealing with this. You know, everyone needs senior engineers, right? That's the biggest thing we hear. We want a senior engineer. Everyone's clamoring for the same type of talent. Is there a way around that? Is there a way to, you know, structure your team to be able to be more productive with junior to mid so work can get done? Because obviously senior hiring is slow. (laughs) Could take three months to a year to fill a senior engineer role at a certain level. Yeah, especially in today's market, it's very difficult. It really depends. I don't want to say, you know, it's for sure one way or another. It really depends on what your use case is. From my perspective, I think it's the same thing, right? As an engineering leader, you really need to be very kind of brutally honest with yourself and say, like, exactly what is it that I need, right? Sometimes you need a senior kind of engineer because, you know, you've got too much on your plate or your team's got too much on your plate and you really need someone to be able to sit down and make the deep technical decisions that are going to help your organization scale going forward. In those sorts of situations, you know, you could get away with some mid-level engineers, but you'd have to give them a lot of kind of attention. And it depends, of course. Not all engineering leaders have that time or capability to be able to have that technical level of review for what people are doing. It depends on the size of your organization. But in other cases, right, like if you can't do that, then, you know, bite the bullet. Pay for it now because the expectation is, you know, that decision will still be NPV positive over a longer term horizon. One person today who will cost you a bit more than you're willing to pay even like 50, 100K more than you know, what you're paying kind of other people, even six months of their time might be enough to scale a particular aspect of your platform so that no one else has to spend any time on it, right? or they have to spend very, very little time on it and the use cases grow. So generally speaking, the investment I've found is usually worth it, but you also have to, like you're saying, pay attention to how much time is is it going to take, right? You can't keep your product on hold until that person comes around. So, you know, plan for the worst, but usually you will have some benefits from, from hiring pretty senior people. Yeah, I think that's the tricky part because I think sometimes you see the length increase in time in terms of, especially this market. So this uh, in this market, just to set context, it's about as hot as I've ever seen it in engineering. So, you know, it seems that everything is taking, you know, two, three times the length and all of a sudden you have projects that are on hold, features that are not going out, product teams that are banging on your door a couple of times a day, virtually at least. You know, we're talking about scaling issues. All of a sudden now on your plate is, Hey, listen, you're having to ship. We're not getting those features out. We're promising as quickly as we'd like to. No, absolutely. I mean, everybody gets involved when it comes to this because it's it's not just, you know, one team that, that's going to be impacted by, by this person, either getting hired or not hired. Now, there are things that you can do kind of in the meantime, right? So I'm also a big believer in like if someone's hungry and they've been you know, they're mid or they're a junior and they're they're looking to go up and they've been kind of very conscientious. Their fundamentals are very strong and kind of the stuff that they've worked on so far has been, you know, very well thought out. And, you know, you haven't had to worry about anything you've given them. Give them the opportunity, right? Maybe you still want to hire that senior alongside them. They'll have a mentor then. That's great. But give them that opportunity in the meantime. If you need to, you know, go get, you know, some courses or 
get them some mentorship outside the firm and and pay for that, that's going to pay dividends. That's going to pay dividends so quickly. So like letting people scale within your org is incredibly important. Now, that's not to say that there isn't value in hiring a kind of like a senior engineer. You have to be careful about doing it, but there's still a lot of value in it. But if you've got people who you are, you know, trusting and you're really happy with, go for it. Just, you know, invest in them because when you invest in those people, they're going to, you know, give you so much dividends over time. Sure. I guess when you're kind of sitting down and looking at your team and and you're kind of envisioning the roadmap down, you know, six months, 12 months down the road, how much of your current team are you looking at and going, well, I'm forecasting this person's career growth to kind of hit this trajectory. This is where they might be. It might affect my team makeup, my team hiring needs. How much of that are you, you know, do you regularly sit down and look at? It depends on how much time I would have to be able to do it. I'd love to do this like very regularly, but you know, sometimes it only shows up in, you know, every quarter for every review cycle. So it really depends on you know what's going on. I don't know if there's like a perfect cadence for it. I think it really depends on how much churn you're expecting and you know how much and how quickly people are growing. It's also going to be relative to how fast your organization is growing as well, right? Some organizations you don't necessarily grow as fast because they might already be big or they might be in an industry where that growth is not necessarily as warranted. In other cases, if you're growing very quickly, you need to be on it. You need to be paying attention to, okay, like how many more people do I need to get? And who else do I have? And how do I keep restructuring things while working with people to make sure that they're engaged throughout all of these changes? So it's a knife edge. The best way that at least I've seen it done is that people, you know, try a little bit at a time. They make small experiments. They treat, you know, management as an overall experiment and they just keep testing different things. They say, okay, well, let me, you know, this didn't work last time. I'm going to engage with you know, this other team a slightly different way, but I'm also going to pull in this other team where I'm also going to pull in this new person and I'm going to structure it slightly different. And as I talk through their career growth, you know, this is the cadence that I'm going to talk to these folks about their career and what they're liking, what they're not liking. The faster that you can get feedback, the easier it is to run these sorts of experiments. So the best thing that you can do is create that culture of, you know, look, nothing's ever fixed. Nothing's kind of like a rule. Question everything, you know, go to your leaders and give your feedback and, you know, uh, and we'll work with you and we'll find ways to, to solve problems together. But, you know, no matter how much, how little or how much experience someone has, that culture of, of questioning things and of experimentation is actually kind of key to be able to, you know, slowly move in the kind of the right direction. I guess when it comes to retention, I mean, you know, it's almost like an employee retained is like a employee hired at this time because it would take you, again, time to replace. I mean, how much of your focus is, you know, when it comes to, you know, building out your team, you, you've got to have a hawkish view on, on retention, but also being remote has got to be a complication that we've never had to deal with before because people are not there. They have almost free time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, being remote makes the need for kind of that open culture even greater. You can't have an effective remote workforce if they're not communicating. And it's so easy to just lose track of like, hey, look, there's this one person there on the other side of the country 
are working on this stuff and I still see kind of their work come through and it's all looking good. So yeah, no, it should be good. No, not necessarily, right? You have no idea what they're thinking, what they're feeling. You have to stay connected. You have to stay human, right? You need to understand that like, you're not going to do everything perfectly. They're not going to do everything perfectly. You have to be kind of humble and transparent about that and say like, look, I really want to know how you're doing. I really want to know what you're thinking. You know, in, in a lot of cases, sometimes there's a classical saying where people don't leave companies, people leave their managers. I understand the wisdom behind it, which is, you know, managers have a significant impact in how employees kind of experience their work environment. But I don't think that's necessarily the whole picture. And so, you know, if you're a manager, you know, you can't spend all the time kind of beating yourself up if you've got some insurance, if you've got people leaving. You have to kind of look at like, who else do I have? How else are they feeling? Maybe this person just wanted to go experience a different industry. Maybe they wanted to just do something else. Might not have anything to do with you as a manager. That can happen sometimes. I can. Sometimes it has everything to do with you as a manager. So you need to just be open enough, transparent enough with your employees so that you get that type of feedback. Because that's really what's going to help you retain people more than anything else. Having people feel listened to, feel connected, and feel valued, that's actually critical. That's going to let, you know, give you much more than, you know, just arbitrary financial bonuses or, or other things that you might throw at your employees without talking to them. Absolutely. Awesome, man. That's a great stopping point. I appreciate you being on to share your thoughts. I think very insightful. And uh, I want to thank you for your time. And more importantly, if somebody wants to reach out to you, what's a good way of getting in touch with you? LinkedIn or? LinkedIn is perfect. My email also works. But uh, if you want to get kind of a quick response, just reach out to LinkedIn. I get a bunch of emails. So yeah, yeah I'm sure. usually good. Awesome. We'll put that in the show notes again. Thanks for being on. We'll let you get back to your day. That's it for this episode. We'll be back again. Different guests, different topic. I always ask for two things. Podcast grows organically because you guys are sharing it. So if you happen to you know, know someone that could benefit from the episode, please share it with them. And then also, if you want me to talk about a specific topic, let me know. Hit me up on LinkedIn. Let me know what that might be. And I'll do my best to find a guest and get it out there for you. Until next time. Thanks. 